You're listening to audio from Mercy's Door Community Church in Mascouda, Illinois. If you'd like to get more information about Mercy's Door, we'd love for you to connect with us on Facebook or check us out at mercysdoor.org. So, new sermon series, Book of Galatians. We're going to be in this book for uh, 13 weeks. Um, we're going to land this plane um, on Good Friday, which is fitting because the Galatians ends with a passage that is uh, subtitled, The Glory of the Cross. And, and really, this whole sermon series is about the glory of the cross. And then when we get done with Galatians, we're going to do an eight-week character study of uh, female disciples in the New Testament, followed by a 15-week study of the Psalms of Ascent, over the summer, and then we're going to get back to some minor prophets. We're going to do Jonah and Habakkuk this year before going back to the Gospels for Advent next year. And so that kind of gives you a little bit of a roadmap of where we're going in New Year 2024. I'm excited to do that. So 13 weeks in Galatians. In chapter 1, verses 1 through 10 that we're in today, I'm going to kind of preach it in two sections. We're going to do uh, verse 1 through 5 first, and then we're going to do verse 6 through 10 after that. In verse 1 through 5, I think what we're going to see is that uh, Paul is doing some work at the introduction of this letter to the Galatians to establish his apostolic authority and to establish the gospel. And then in verses 6 through 10, he's going to start working against and addressing a crisis among the churches in Galatia. Now, there's some debate about who exactly the Galatians are, Um, and so I want to kind of let you know who I am working with when I preach about letters to the churches of Galatia. Um, The reason why there's debate about it is because there are a people group present in the ancient world in Paul's day called the Gauls, and they were Galatians ethnically, and they were part of the northern part of Asia Minor. And then there is a broader group of people made up of several ethnicities uh, called the Galatians by the Romans in the southern part of Asia Minor. And the reason I make the distinction is because it's kind of important because it will give us context as far as what exactly Paul is addressing. And I believe that he's addressing this people group of multiple ethnicities in the southern part of Asia Minor. My reason for believing that is, is, well, there's multiple reasons. The main one is that we know what churches Paul has planted. Uh, because we read them in the book of Acts, and we know that he moved prominently through the southern part of Asia Minor among this other group of people called the Galatians. So why were they called the Galatians if they weren't Gauls? Well, kind of for the same reason uh, you guys are more familiar with, like, the Soviet Union, right? Like, up until about the the early 90s, the Soviet Union exists, and this band of multiple different ethnic groups and, and countries came together to form the USSR. And during that time, even though they were, they were made up of, of Kazakhstan and Ukraine and, and the rest all kind of allied up with Russia, during that time, you kind of refer to all of them as Soviets, right? And some even wrongly would call them all Russians, even though really they were Kazakh or Ukrainian or whatever. Similarly, due to imperialization in Rome, all of the countries and people groups and ethnicities in the southern part of Asia Minor were referred by, to by Rome as Galatians, just this region of Galatia. And I believe that that's what, who Paul is addressing here because Paul planted churches among all of these people groups early on in his ministry. And this is one of the earliest letters that Paul wrote. Now, if you find that interesting and other things like that interesting, I also want to make you guys aware that if you go to mercysdoor.org, you hover over resources, you click on current sermon series. There you'll find all our sermon audio, but you'll also find what's customary for us is just to put other resources on there, free resources available to you to study this book more in depth, to kind of learn the historical context and things like that um, if you're interested in that. We try to make it, um, some of it's more intensive, some of it's more simple, really whatever you're looking for, 
you do well to go and study these books on your own and not just rely on my preaching to try to understand what we're talking about, okay? That's it for history lesson today. We'll look at Paul's writing, starting in, in verse 1. He starts with his introduction. He says, it's me, Paul. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Paul, an apostle, he starts with that. He just starts with kind of establishing himself as an apostle, and not just as an apostle, but as an apostle who became an apostle, was commissioned as an apostle, who was made an apostle, not from men or through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who was raised from the dead. Now, why does Paul do this? Well, this letter is written in the context of some contenders against Paul. Early on in his ministry, he'd plant a church, and then there were a band of people coming, from, coming behind him, who we'll talk about in the second half of the sermon, who were trying to add to the gospel that he was preaching. And one of the ways that they were doing that was to call into question the authenticity of his apostleship to call into question the authority that he actually had. And the reason for that is because the word apostle in the ancient world had broad use, but in the early church, it had a pretty specific use. The word apostle was used to describe the 12 disciples, the ones who walked with Jesus, who were commissioned directly by Jesus to go and to spread the gospel among the nations. And you guys will know that Paul wasn't one of those. Paul was not one of the original 12 disciples. In fact, Paul does not get called by Jesus to become an apostle among the Gentiles until like three and a half years after he ascended to heaven. And so this was the basis on which the opponents of Paul would come in and they would call into question the authority of Paul as an apostle, the authenticity of Paul as an apostle. And this actually still happens today. We'll get to that in a minute. But this is kind of the assumption that's made about Paul by his contenders is this guy's a latecomer. This guy is a latecomer. His gospel is a gospel of hearsay, and so therefore his credibility should be questioned, and we've got the ability to add to what he had to say or to kind of clean up what he had to say, but he is not an authentic, first-rate, direct hearer of the gospel. And Paul here is defending himself as an apostle. He says, it's me, Paul, an apostle, not from men not a second-hand recipient of the gospel. I did not receive this from men. I didn't receive it through man. I received it through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, just the same as the other disciples did, as the other apostles did. Now, I'm not going to steal from Pastor Brett's sermon next week because he gets to teach us about the nature by which Paul was called by God, and so I'm going to leave much of that to him. But Paul is appealing to it, and he's saying, I got the gospel the same way as the other apostles, directly from Jesus Christ. And I was commissioned as an apostle the same as the other apostles, directly by Jesus Christ. Now, this is still an issue today, and maybe it's not for you, but we do, like, family discipleship regularly in my home, and we're also homeschoolers, so we've got Bible study and uh, church history and and, and theology training as part of our homeschool curriculum. And so we work through some things. And both of my older boys, uh, Jack and Boaz, around age 11, was the first time that, we were that we'd be teaching through some difficult doctrine that comes from a letter that Paul wrote. And the kids would wrestle through it. And then very innocently, they would say, well, yeah, but that's Paul saying that, not Jesus. Well, yeah, but, but I mean, that's Paul. Like, that's a, just his opinion, opinion man. You know, like that's just his advice. It's, I mean, this is Paul, not Jesus, very innocently. And then I know it's time to pause 
in today's lesson and for however long we work through this, we're going to talk to the kids about apostleship, about what apostolic authority is, about the nature of the divine revelation of God, about the nature of the gospel, about the nature of the foundation of the church being built on the foundation of the apostles with Christ as the cornerstone. This is very significant. Similarly, when you approach your Bible, you're approaching it with some assumptions about who wrote it, about the, about the authority of the ones who wrote it. And Paul is a really po popular stumbling block among the disciples, among the apostles. Paul is a popular stumbling block. In fact, there are some still today who challenge that Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth was really this guy who was all about you know, love and acceptance and, and grace. And then Paul comes along a few years later with all of his complicated Greek thought, and he is accused of inventing Christianity as we know it today, and that he was much different from Jesus and wasn't really an apostle of Jesus. This is still propagated today. It's not a new thing. Stumbling over Paul is as old as Christianity itself, and it's happening here very early in the apostolic ministry among the churches in Galatia. And so Paul first is defending his apostleship, establishing the gospel, and then he's going to address the crisis in Galatia, among the churches in Galatia. Now understand that when he defends his apostleship, he's not doing it pridefully. Paul calls himself, in, in, in his other letters, he calls himself the least of the, of the apostles because he persecuted the church of Christ. Later, he'll call himself the least of all the saints, of all the Christians, and eventually he's going to call himself the chief of sinners, the foremost of all sinners. It's not that Paul has a lofty or elevated view of himself. He defends his apostleship only for one reason, in order to defend his message. Because the tactic of his opponents was to challenge his authority and his apostleship in order to challenge and oppose his gospel message. And so for the sake of the gospel, he defends himself. He says, it's me, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you, verse 3 and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So in the second half of his introduction, he moves off of defending his apostleship to establishing the, his gospel message, the one that he had preached to the churches in Galatia. He just preaches the gospel. And if you want to, if you're like, man, I don't know how to preach the gospel, maybe just steal from chapter 1, verse 1 through 5 in Galatians, because Paul pulls it off in like five sentences. He starts with establishing that this is Paul who was through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So he, the resurrection is here. And then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. So all of the different parts of the gospel are present right in his introduction. It's me, Paul, the preacher of the true gospel. And if, if you don't remember what it was, here it is again. Let me remind you of the true gospel. And it is this, that Jesus Christ came, that he came, and that he lived, and that he laid down his life, that he gave himself up. Why? For our sins. Why? To deliver us from the present evil age. Why? Well, all to the will of the Father for his glory forever. The fullness of the gospel is here, 
and really the nature of the Galatian error, the Galatian heresy, and the nature of all of the heresies that we hear and the errors that we hear is to take some part of this gospel and to distort it, to twist it, to subtly move it, to subtly change it. And Paul here is defending it, and he's reestablishing the heart of it. Who is the man of the gospel? It is Jesus Christ. Well, where is he? He's raised from the dead. You know, here's the thing. When we see in verse 4 that Jesus gave himself up, that he gave himself up, this is like the heart of the gospel, that God came for us, that Jesus came for us in order to die, to give himself up. Jesus Christ came and he lived a perfect life for you. We've got to establish the gospel on the front end before we contend with the error. Jesus Christ came for you and he lived a perfect life. Why did he live a perfect life for you? Well, he did it, church, to fulfill the righteous requirements of God upon man. He lived the life that you were meant to live on your behalf. He did that in order to become a perfect human substitute for you when he would soon die for you. So he lived for you, but then he died for you. Well, why did he die for you? Well, this is an area of contention. Jesus died for you primarily to atone for your sin. Now, the word atone means that, he, that he's making peace or, 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 or satisfying the wrath of God for you. There are some uh, videos that I really like that, I, uh, that you'll even see one listed under resources for, uh, for the Galatian sermon series from a, a popular YouTube channel called The Bible Project. Do you guys know it? I love it. There's these accompanying videos with graphics and all that to kind of explain books of the Bible. And this teacher, I really like him, his name is Tim Mackey. What you'll find is that his error generally falls in this one area, that confusion over the atonement. When you get to passage of the, passage of the Bible that deal with the atonement or the satisfaction of the wrath of God, suddenly the doctrine shifts just a little bit where really we start to talk about what, ha- what you needed is you're kind of snake-bitten. Try to, try to track with me here. That sin was an issue of being snake-bitten. And you've got venom that's coursing through your veins. And what Jesus came to do is suck the venom out of you. But by doing so, now he dies as a consequence of taking your sin upon himself. But now you've been cleansed of the venom problem. And that's primarily why he died, was he died because that's just what happens when he took, absorbed your sin off of you. But Jesus didn't just come to take your sin from you and give you a new nature. He came to satisfy the wrath of God, the punishment for your sin. And so a wrathless cross is an incomplete gospel because it says that Jesus just came to remove your sin nature from you, but not to deal with the penalty for the sins that you've committed. Now play that out a little bit. This is a very common view, so you've got to play this out. You've got to work it out so you can hear when the teaching has subtly shifted to the left or shifted to the right. Imagine that you have lived a murderous life. Imagine that you've murdered 10, that you're bloodthirsty, and that you've just lived the life of a murderer. And because you've now related to murderers all over left and right, now your day of reckoning has come, and somebody comes and tries to murder you. But some innocent woman jumps in front of the bullet and saves your life as somebody tries to murder you. And in that moment, everything changes. You see this this act of sacrificial love to spare you from the consequences of your life choices. And in that moment, you vow, you're you're a changed man. You'll never kill again. That is wonderful. That is totally a great picture of a part of the gospel. But justice is still owed for the ten lives that you have taken. 
there is still a punishment to be paid for the sins that you've committed with your hands. And that punishment must be dealt with. Your nature must not just be changed, but the, but the judge must have his wrath appeased against the sins that you have committed. So Jesus comes and he gives himself up. Nobody took his life. He gave himself up for you. He said, I have the authority to lay down my life, and I have the authority to take it up again, that nobody takes from me my life, but I give it up willingly. And he did that in accordance with the will of the Father for the sake of appeasing and atoning for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. And so Jesus came. He lived a perfect life to satisfy the just demands of God for righteous living, and then he laid down that life to atone for your sin. He took the punishment that you deserve because, because all of sin is deserving of death. The wages of sin are death. And he took those wages upon himself at the cross. And then he rose, and, and Paul includes this in his gospel, and he was raised from the dead. Now, the reason Jesus was raised from the dead was to give his church victory over death. So he lived for you to fulfill the righteous requirements. He died for you to appease the wrath of God. And then he rose for you to give you victory over death for eternal life. And then he ascended for you where he currently reigns as your high priest and he reigns over the work of the church to, to spread the gospel over the world. But then lastly, he returns for you to consummate what Paul says here is to deliver us from this present evil age. You see, even though your nature has been changed because Christ lives in you, do you not still groan for all things to be made new? That is the culmination of the gospel, that Jesus returns and purges this world of all, every last ounce of sin, and he reigns bodily, and you reign bodily with him, worshiping him. This is the gospel, that Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose, Jesus ascended, and that Jesus is coming back. And Paul says, this is the gospel I'm defending. This is the gospel I have preached, and this is the gospel I'm offending, or I'm defending. But there are people who have been marching among the Galatians, and they've been preaching a different gospel. And these people have been called the Judaizers. They probably came from Jerusalem, and, they, and they're right on the heels of Paul everywhere he goes. And they come behind, and what they're trying to do is trying to bind the consciences of new Christians and tell them that in order to truly receive salvation, in order to truly receive the Messiah, first you've got to become a Jew. They say the Messiah was promised to the Jews. If you really want him, you've got to become Jewish. And to become a Jew, you need to become circumcised and then observe the laws and customs of the Jewish people. And only then can you receive this gospel that Paul has been preaching. And Paul says to these people who have been believing this false gospel, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. He says, I'm astonished. You're so quickly deserting him. He's like, I was just among you. And if you want to read the account of it, you can maybe start with Acts 14, but you're going to have to read all over Acts to read about all these different churches in Asia Minor that he planted. But it's a victory story. Everywhere the gospel is being preached, people are repenting, people are coming to Christ, churches are being planted. It's amazing. And then Paul gets word that the Galatians are turning from this gospel to a different gospel. And what the Pharisees were doing, what the Judaizers was do, were doing, is they were trying to say, if you want the gospel of grace— 
you're going to have to add to it the law of Moses. And he said, no. He said, you are deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. That is to say, you are deserting God himself. He's saying to turn from the only one true gospel, because there is no other gospel, he says, is to desert the one who called you, which is to desert God himself. He says you cannot believe a different gospel and still face God. You turn from God when you believe this different gospel. You're deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ. And this word deserter is like betrayer. It's like Benedict Arnold. It's like, it's, it's like somebody who changes sides in a war. It's a very strong word. Paul is angry. He's angry at these Judaizers for trying to poach his beloved brothers and sisters from the churches in Galatia, and he is sternly warning them not to desert the true gospel, not to desert God, not to desert the gospel of grace of Christ. Not that there is one other one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Listen, this idea that the gospel of grace is only tapped into, is only really received when you observe the law of Moses. This is not unique to the first century. Some of you guys were raised in the church, and you were raised in churches that really held up high the law of Moses. They called it different things, right? But they taught you that you're made right by God by your obedience. They taught you that you're made right by God by your good works. They're to they're, they've told you that the level of your acceptance before the Father is based on the level of your obedience to his commands. And in that way, they have heaped the law of Moses, so to speak, on top of the gospel of grace. And they have said, yeah, like you're saved by grace, but you keep yourself right with God by your works. You can lose this thing, in essence. You can lose the favor of God. Well, if you can lose it, then it was really on you to gain it in the first place. Jesus did so much more than giving you a blank slate, church. He didn't give you a blank slate so that you can go be a more obedient son now and then hopefully go and have a cleaner resume than you might have had without the do-over halfway through your life. Jesus not just gave you a blank slate. He then filled in your resume with all of his righteous life lived on your behalf so that on the day that you stand before the judgment seat, your deeds will have nothing to do with it. Your deeds, if there are any good ones to boast of at all, will be a testimony of what Christ did in you. It is all to his glory and to his fame forever and ever. Amen. It's just not about what you bring to the table. It's about what Jesus did for you. See, but you don't just have to contend with the, with the law of Moses being layered on top of the gospel of grace. You've got so many false gospels in the modern age to contend with, and so do I. And this ability to distinguish between the true gospel and all of these false gospels that surround the contemporary church is paramount to being able to walk in peace and comfort and assurance and dependence in Christ Jesus. I ask you whether you can distinguish between the true gospel and the gospel of material prosperity, that Jesus is the way to financial gain. Can you distinguish between the gospel of family values and the gospel of the grace of Christ, the one that says that Jesus is the way to a happy home? Can you tell the difference between the gospel of the grace of Christ and the gospel of self, which says that Jesus is the way to personal fulfillment? 
or distinguishing between the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ and the gospel of religious tradition, which says that Jesus is the way to respectability. Can you distinguish between the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ and the gospel of morality, which says that Jesus is the way to be a good person? You see, the, the gospel promises all sorts of good things on the other side of renewal, on the other side of being given a new nature. On the other side, there are things that are benefits of walking with Christ, benefits of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But the ends of the gospel and the means of the gospel are the works of Christ alone and it's faith in Him alone that makes you right before God. See, the ultimate, the ultimate um, heresy, I would say, of the majority of false gospels is this. It's, I believe that I am justified to the degree that I am sanctified and that I am responsible to sancti- for sanctifying myself. That I need to change, and I am the primary agent in changing me, and the degree to which I change is the degree to which my Father will be pleased with me on the day that I stand before Him and today. This is the primary heresy at the, at the middle of most false gospels, that I make myself right with God. My justification depends on my sanctification, and my sanctification depends on me. But your sanctification, which at its root means to be set apart, is something that happened at the cross. You were purchased by Jesus Christ, by his atoning blood, set aside eternally for good works that he predestined that you might walk in them to give glory to the Holy Spirit who reigns in you. Such that on that day, if you have anything to boast in, it will be Christ alone. Nothing that you added to your moral resume. It won't be how fulfilled you were. It won't be how happy your home was. It will not be how prosperous you were in life. It will not be how respectable you were to others in observing your traditions. Were you wed to Christ alone, by faith alone? Martin Luther warned that there is a clear and present danger that the devil may take away from us the pure doctrine of faith and may substitute for it the doctrines of works and of human traditions. It is very necessary, therefore, he said, that this doctrine of faith be continually read and heard in public. So that's what I'm doing this morning. John Stott warned similarly, the church's greatest troublemakers now as then are not those outside who oppose, ridicule, and persecute it, but those inside who try to change the gospel. Listen, it is so easy for us, especially those who were raised under the law, to believe that we've got to layer the law of Moses on top of the gospel of grace in order to make ourselves right with God. It is the mark of the mature Christian to hear these real subtle shifts, these real subtle changes, to take a good thing and to elevate it into a place of righteousness and to dismiss it and to say, that is not the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. And that maturity comes from walking in the Spirit and contending with these lies with the Word of God, the Word of God as written and testified by the apostles. You see, the gospel of the apostles, the foundation of the church, is the testimony of the apostles with Christ as the cornerstone. It is not for you to sit in your quiet place and to just imagine what this is probably like. The Lord didn't leave you to do that to try to contend with the words of the world to be like, well, I guess I could see that. And this is how the Galatians were so easily led astray. The Galatians were so easily led astray because they did not understand apostolic authority. 
so that when the Judaizers came in, they were like, well, these guys have been Jews a really long time. They probably know what they're talking about. I'm a Gentile. I don't know anything. You tell me. And they accumulated teachers, and they believed what the teachers spoke, and he said, listen, hold their teaching up against the gospel which you received at first, because the gospel you received at first was from Christ. It was from Christ. I'll go as far as to say that when you read the words of the New Testament as penned by the apostles through the inspiration of the Father, you are reading words that are spoken with the full backing of the authority of Jesus Christ. If Paul wants you to know that he's writing his opinion, he'll let you know. He'll say, I'm, I'm saying this as my own opinion here. Don't take this as law. He goes to the lengths to establish that when he's writing. You should assume when you are reading the foundation of the apostles that you are reading something backed by the full authority of Christ. He commissioned his apostles to give us this gospel so that we could discern truth from error, a false gospel from the true one. Paul goes so far as to say, even if we, verse 8, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preached to you already, let him be accursed. As, you have said, as I have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul's like, if I come back myself and start telling you a different gospel than the one I originally told you, let me be accursed. Paul says, if an angel appears from heaven and starts to preach to you a gospel different than the one that you received, let him be accursed. How can he say that so boldly? Because of verse 1, I am an apostle who received my commissioning and my message not from men or through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. The gospel that I preached to you at first was from Jesus. So if I come to you preaching to you anything else, that wasn't from Jesus. Reject it. Let that man be accursed. If I stand up here in Mercy's door and I start preaching to you some other gospel than the one that the apostles preached, let me be accursed. Let any angel that appears to you in a vision as you sleep, teaching you some other way to Christ, be accursed. There is but one gospel. And turning to a different gospel is to turn from God himself. Paul concludes like this, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You could take that any kind of way, I guess, a couple of different ways. I take it as this. If I was trying to please man, the hardest way to go about that would be to be a servant of Christ. Paul is contending with the wisdom of men here. Paul's going to be stoned and beaten and tried and imprisoned and all kinds of things for this gospel that he preaches. He's saying, if I were trying to please man, this wouldn't be the way to do it. it. I wouldn't be a servant of Christ if I was trying to please man. It doesn't work. Jesus said, they persecuted me, they will persecute you. It cost Paul everything to remain loyal to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was unable to reconcile being a servant of Christ with being a servant of man. He couldn't do it, and neither can you. And you will find that these things are, will tell you the truth about which gospel you're believing. The gospel that is pleasing to man is likely not Christ's gospel, because the, Christ's gospel really highlights the problem with man, doesn't it? 
It says there's nothing that you can do to save yourself. It says you bring nothing to barter with to the table. It says you're worse than you think you are. It says your righteousness is rubbish. It says all your keeping of the law counted for nothing. It says your morality is trash. It says you come to the Lord empty-handed as a beggar alone, recipient of grace alone, that you receive salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to these scriptures alone, for the glory of God forevermore alone. And that message is offensive to the world. This is the message of hope for those who have their eyes opened by the grace of Christ. You cannot seek the approval of man and preach that gospel. This gospel is offensive to man until his heart is renewed. So Paul says, I'm not seeking the approval of man. And he's also addressing, just for maybe one more historical note, he's addressing another area of contention that his opponents brought against him. There are certain stories that people find offensive. For example, that Timothy, one of Paul's disciples, was circumcised among the Jews, and Titus was never circumcised. And so they accused Paul of being inconsistent. He himself said, when I'm among the Romans, I act as the Romans. When I'm among the Gentiles, I act as the Gentiles. And people pointed to that type of thing and said, Paul can't be trusted. He's a man pleaser. He's a people pleaser. He does whatever it takes to get approval from man. He says, oh no, I do whatever it takes to bring the gospel to bear upon lost people. It's, it's, I don't care about their approval. I care about access to these people that I can bring them the gospel. And so he's defending himself yet again. I'm not seeking the approval of man. If I was, this would not be how to do it. And of course, we'll see in Paul's life that it didn't work. If he was seeking the approval of man, it would cost him his life to preach this gospel. But Mercy's Door, in the year 2024, as we turn into a new year, as we start off with this letter to the Galatians, I thought it fitting to get back to the basics of the gospel to let Paul defend for us the true gospel, to remind us of the fullness of the gospel of grace that is separate from what you do to make yourself right with God. And it's fitting, especially as we become people made of certain resolve. You know, we're a pick ourselves up by our bootstraps kind of people. And y'all are gonna go home tonight, a lot of you, and you're gonna write resolutions and by all means. And you're gonna tell yourself, new year, new me. And I want you to hear like, new year, same you, but same Jesus. You know, like, I hope that you keep your, your resolutions. I hope that by the power of Christ, he slays a ton of sin for you this year. And I hope that he gives you discipline in the good things and, and, and all of that. But to the degree that you believe that you changing you is making yourself right with God, I, I say to hell with that. That damnable gospel has sent many men to hell. Your gospel is the gospel of faith alone in Christ alone. And it's his spirit in you that gives you the power to walk out your new nature. And so give all glory to him and the victory he lets you taste on this side of eternity and know that he's coming back to make all things new for you. So whether you make an inch of progress or on that day you can boast of miles of progress in Christ, we all finish the race the same, made perfect by the blood of Jesus Christ, given resurrected bodies, eradicated of sin, glorying in him forever because your champion is just way better at this than you are. Can we pray and thank him for that? Let's do that now.